Hey there, Bloom Living Podcast listeners. First of all, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'd like to share with you something that we have, and that is in the area of finance. If you want to up your game in the world of money, go over to bloomyourmoney.com and download our free ebook, Bloom Your Money, Your Life. That's at bloomyourmoney.com. Bloom Your Money, Your Life. Do it like your life depends on it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Thomas DeShooter Business Success Coaching. Are you ready to experience your business thriving? Or maybe you're already thriving and you want a better system for managing your cash flow. The truth is, you need to be set up to win. And winning is all about the process. Being certified cash flow specialist and profit first professionals, Thomas DeShooter Business Success Coaching will put you on track to win big. Check the show notes to book your free consultation or go to thomasdeshooter.com. The Bloom Living Podcast, Season 5, Episode 11. And if you are a regular listener to the show, then you probably know about my fascination with mindset, talking to people about mindset, looking into mindset, thinking about mindset, because for me, everything comes down to my own thoughts, my own feelings. Well, not in your life, of course. In your life, it's your own thoughts and your own feelings. However, our perception of the world, our perception of the reality around us, our perception of what's working, what's not working, and all of that becomes our life. For each of us, it is our own perception of reality. Today's guest is an expert on mindset. Jared Hanning, for the past 10 years, has been working so you don't have to, meaning his job is to show you how to think at a higher level about business success. A breakthrough in your business will first happen as a breakthrough in your thinking, and you're only one thought away from your next breakthrough. From his book, The Thinking Patterns of Success, we get a glimpse into the minds of seven-figure earners and how they really think, how to grow in a down economy, how to earn with less effort, how to increase client value, how to scale on demand. The less you do, the more you earn. Now that's crazy. Bigger goals bring faster funds and a higher purpose creates more power. And when we talk about this, the one that I really loved was the the idea that bigger goals mean more. Like the bigger the goal, the more prosperity, abundance, the more enjoyment, the more life you get to live. And hey, life wants more life. So here we go. Today's show, the Bloom Living Podcast, is all about mindset. Welcome to the show, Jared Hanning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great uh, great to have you here. I'm so happy you reached out to me to talk about something that I love to talk about a lot, which is mindset. And uh, and I'm just going to approach this like I don't know anything because really I don't know anything. I just, I just know what I know and I, who knows if it's right. Isn't that uh, all of us though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great point. So, you know, maybe, uh, cause the, the, one of the contexts that you put this in is the, is the world of mindset, business performance, 
uh, year end review starting out a year. We're coming up to, you know, the year end and gosh, don't we want to see this year end more than any other, perhaps mm-hmm. what, you know, if I'm a business owner and I'm struggling and it every year is starting to look the same, what are some things that I could start to do maybe leading into the year and at the start of the year to, to shift that, to, to create uh, a new direction for myself or something I can, you know, latch onto to take me to the levels I want to get to. You cannot read the label from the inside of the bottle. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> uh, anytime you get stuck in that cycle, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, uh, relationship conversations, keep in in the same way. Um, there's three truths that we first need to look at before we can address what to do different. Um, the first truth is you're already working hard. Like, um, just tell yourself the truth. You're, you're already working hard. If there's something else you could be doing, you'd be doing it. Now, when we get in that cycle though, don't have enough time, don't have enough money. We think that it's because we're not working hard. And so we're like, well, next year I'm going to work harder. That's all I need to do is just try a little bit harder. Um, next year rolls around and you're like, okay, do over because grandma was sick and the kids had to, you know, go on vacation. So this doesn't count next year. I'm really going to apply myself. Well, after a couple of years, you just got to realize maybe trying harder, isn't it? So number one, you're already working hard. If there was something else you could be doing, you would already be doing it. What that means is working harder isn't going to make a difference. Number two, everything that you're thinking of, to try makes sense. It seems like a good idea. I mean, you're no dummy. If it didn't make sense, you wouldn't be doing it. What that means is a breakthrough in your situation isn't going to come from working smarter or it would have by now. Uh, working smarter, by the way, is, is incredibly misleading. It just has you thinking of more things that already make sense. And that's what has you in the situation to start with. Number three, a breakthrough in your situation will first seem like a really bad idea because if it made sense, you'd already be doing it. And this is the situation we were all in learning to ride a bicycle. They take off the training wheels. We're a little wobbly. We don't have it yet. We put a foot down. And every family has their version of a crazy Aunt Jenny who comes by and says the most unhelpful thing ever, what you need to do is go faster. Because if you go faster, it's easier to balance. And you're like, okay, this is why they call her crazy Aunt Jenny. Because that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. But something happened on the day that you did go faster and felt balance. And here's the thing that I think we tend to miss, which is before you felt the difference, no amount of explanation from Crazy Aunt Jenny made a difference. After you felt balance, no amount of explanation was needed. And that's what it is when your brain kicks over and starts solving problems on a higher level. So the three truths essentially come down to a breakthrough in your situation will at first seem like a bad idea because if it made sense, you'd already be doing it. Remembering that working harder isn't going to make a difference or it would have by now. Working smarter isn't going to make a difference or it would have by now. And you cannot read the label from the inside of the bottle. So if you get in that cycle, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, and year after year, you're promising yourself, you just need to work harder. Well, we've established that's not going to happen. And your brain can't think of the thing that it cannot think of. Here are two options. One, get your thinking patterns mapped out. Um, You can do that with a Nobel nominated mind scan. And that shows right away where the blind spot is that's been tripping you up all this time. 
the blind spot, the way of thinking that made sense at the time, but because you can't read the label from the inside of the bottle, that is what's is causing you to keep recreating, don't have enough time, don't have enough money. Or the breakthrough that's waiting for you. The breakthrough is the opportunity that your mind hasn't even leveraged yet because it hasn't thought of it. Um, related to this uh, is the situation we're all in in a corn maze. You get to the end of the row, you don't know if you should go left or right. So you're like, well, let me try this. And then this turns into working harder and faster. I know the faster I run down the rows, the faster I can make another decision, the sooner I'll get out of this mess. And that's how we try to solve our life problems. Well, when you're driving to your friend's house in a new town, and after a while you were like, I should be here. Did I take a wrong turn? So you start driving faster to get to the end of the road to make a new turn. Driving faster can't fix being on the wrong road. You got to look at the map, yo. So back to the corn maze. If instead of running faster, working harder, we just put you on a ladder now you can see the whole picture, there's no mystery. So that's what happens when you print up your thinking patterns. You're able to see exactly what's been going running the show this whole time. That's the first solution I would say. So Get your thinking patterns printed up. Can, can I pause there? So I have never done this. So when you get your thinking patterns printed up, what is it that, have you done this process or do you understand this process? Like, are there a series of questions that you answer and they can tell the way that you're going to be operating when certain circumstances come up and then you pull from, you know, you pull from that, you know, envelope of stuff. Oh, when this happens, I go to here and I do this thing here. And then that just keeps bringing us back to the same loop over and over again. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Okay. So how do the patterns get mapped out? Um, this is through a Nobel-nominated process that Robert Hartman discovered in the 50s. Um, and by understanding how your brain or your mind, essentially, how your mind makes decisions, how it evaluates the world, um, because we, we cannot see the world as it is. That's, that's not the way the brain is set up. What the brain does is it takes input and then recreates what it thinks the world is. And so the way that he is able to map that out reveals the blind spots and breakthroughs in our thinking patterns. And it's, it's like a visual graph. So you're able to see where those things are, see where the opportunities are. 30% of the people that go through that process are in tears because it's so personally meaningful. Like it, it's very conforming. Now, how does it happen? So um, I just want to stop for a moment. So what you're talking about there, when we, the way we see the world is not how the world is, is really the, uh, you know, I think Einstein said that it's all an illusion, right? Is that, that's the, that's the idea is that, is that it's not real. It's what our mind is making up about so-called reality. Yes. Yeah. So um, Einstein's quote, I love it. Uh, reality is an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Right. Right. And that's because of how we are wired. And so this thinking process would be different for everybody, correct? Like everybody's yes. going to come through this process and have a whole different way of analyzing and getting to the next step for themselves. Yes. Yeah. It, that graph is like a fingerprint right. of your mind. It's as unique as you are. Absolutely. Um, so then your other question was, well, how is that done? I mean, it's not like a medical device. So how, how is that done? How do we, how do we ferret out? how your mind um, pictures the world. Um, so a lot of people, they think of assessments 
and they think of things like DISC or Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Strength Finders, that kind of thing. The problem with those assessments, well, there's several. Um, one is they're questionnaire-based. And so you're, you're answering questions. You know, when you go to a party, do you go to the punch bowl or do you shake a hand of a stranger? You know, um, and so because they're questionnaire-based, your brain, your, your subconscious is gaming the system. It's like trying to think ahead. Well, I think they're trying to figure this part about me. And then it's like, well, this is a part of me that I'm working on being better at. So I'm going to answer this way. So you get self-reporting error. Now, if you can imagine going to see a doctor and the doctor walks into your room with somebody else's test results. So that's the value of self-reporting error. It's not. The second thing is they um, tend to label and categorize and compare. So they say, hey, you're a rabbit, you know, you're a rock, you're a fire, you're a red, you're a blue too, you're an INFQ or whatever. And then that causes you to identify with those traits. So now we've got like your ego involved. And this gives rise to, well, that's just how I am. Well, for crying out loud, if you're tired of not having enough time, not having enough money, if you're tired of going through life, wondering if there's something bigger, if you're tired of wondering what life is calling you to, then we need to get rid of that's just how I am. Because what got you here isn't going to get you there. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. So the label is curious and interesting, but it's not helpful. Hey, you have this trait. Duh, you already knew that. 25% of the population has this trait. That would be like going to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you have this condition and we have a 60% success rate treating it. What we need to know is what side of that 60% line are you? And that's what this is different. It's not, you don't answer questions to get to it. So there's no self-reporting error. The results are as unique as you are. They aren't a population comparison. And because of that, it creates your breakthrough map. We're able to see for you personally what to do next in your business to break the cycle to get to the next level. Wow. So, so, so what do you do? Do you just like solve some puzzles? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes. So it would have you ask things like, um, morality, morality, good, bad. Okay. So maybe what is more good, a baby or a technical improvement? Well, they're both good. But for you, one of those is slightly more good. What is more bad, slavery or blowing up an airliner in flight? Well, they're both bad. But for you, one of them is slightly worse. Now, if you take that over, say, 18 different categories, then it gets more and more refined, more and more as unique as you are. Mm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. How, how long does a process like that take? Uh, about 15 minutes. Wow. Because you're sitting there going, God, they're both good. Like you really have to wrestle with your own morality. Right. Usually when people take it, they, they finish and they're like, did I, did I do it right? Did I, did it? Because it's so unlike anything they've done before. Right. Um, and then usually when, uh, they take a look at their, their results and the breakthrough map and they begin to understand all the data and opportunities. 
they feel undersold, like they, they feel tricked in a good way because they were going into this expecting DISC, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Strength Finder, whatever. This is Nobel nominated for a reason. And so they go through their results and they're like, holy moly, why didn't you tell me? This is ridiculous. Like, how did it get all of this? Oh, they're just, they're just freaked out. <laughs> and, and they're freaked out because they can see themselves in the results. Yeah. When you're in that trying to read the label from the inside of the bottle, you're doing everything you know to do. You're doing everything that makes sense. And for the first time in your life, you're able to get out of the bottle and see the label. You're able to see why the thing that makes sense is the very thing keeping you stuck. You're able to see what the opportunity is that you hadn't considered before. And it's just, wow. So how did you come upon this stuff? What is it that, what is it that got you into this, into this world and, uh, and looking at mindset and this process? I feel like a little bit of getting lucky, being in the right place at the right time. And um, I don't want to say law of attraction, but, you know, birds of a feather tend to flock together, right? You're into sailing. You're on vacation in Italy. The guy next to you at the cafe drinking coffee, he happens to be into sailing too. Like that stuff just happens, right? So I spent 20 years as a professional classical musician, uh, was principal viola with the South Carolina Philharmonic. And what some people don't know about music is that when you're engaged in making music, whether you're singing along to the radio or clapping your hands or banging out a tune on the piano or whatever, you are using more different parts of your brain than any other activity. Now, a blind spot is when we overuse a part or underuse a part. Um, similar to if you're going on a hike in the woods, if you hold the map too close to your face, it creates a blind spot, even though the map could be perfect. So by learning how to access different parts of your brain on demand, it opens up a tremendous amount of innovation and efficiency and scale. So I would teach people how to access different parts of their brain on demand. I would talk about the musical secrets of leadership or the musical secrets of productivity um, or even the musical secrets of language. Uh, one of my TEDx talks in Hickory, North Carolina uh, was about that, how your brain turns sound into emotion and the impact of that for relationship and, and conversation. Well, I was, I was at a conference and I was in line to get food. I guess that's where most of the networking happens. And this guy heard what I was talking about, what I was doing at the time. And he's like, hey, have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried the mind scan? Um, so I tried it and it was just, I mean, it was the missing link. Up until that point, I was teaching people how to access different parts of their brain on demand. This gave me the ability to show them where we were starting. This is what's currently going on. So that as you're learning the mindset push-ups, as you're learning the moves to do this, you can now see where we're going and, okay. and what it's going to look like. Okay. So do you have an example from your life of that? Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? That this is, you can now see where you are. Okay. So when I was in business at that time, one of the patterns in my life was I would have clients tell me, man, you're the greatest. Gosh, you're amazing. Everybody must like rave about your 
product and your service, you're still like, they just sing my praises, but they would never actually refer me to other clients. They would always refer somebody else. And so I had this mismatch. Why going out of your way to praise for how good and how much it changed your life and all this, but you're not referring me on the other end? Like what this weird mismatch? Well, uh, when I took the mind scan at that time, one of the things that it revealed is that my mind had a lot of clarity around how people feel, uh, what they intended to say, what they need to hear, even if they're not asking for it. Um, their emotional state, if you will. It had a lot of clarity and insight, really good at reading people, but it had a tremendous devaluation of that reading. It was as if while you were telling me your story, there was a voice in my head that was going, yeah, yeah, I know how you feel. I just don't care. I know how you feel. I saw how you feel coming a mile away. I'm busy doing this other thing or maybe skipping ahead in the conversation. I know how you feel, but if you would just take this action in your life, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Just, just go take the action kind of thing. Quit complaining about it. When your mind devalues the other person's emotional state because your mind is overvaluing taking action, the belief being action gets results or overvaluing systems, the belief being systems create scale and efficiency, then it creates a situation where there is a emotional deficit. And emotional deficits actually rewire their brain and how it interprets your language. And this is what creates situations where it feels like pulling teeth to create teams and pull people together. It feels like you're talking to somebody and they're purposely misunderstanding what you're saying. What you're saying is, is like elementary level technical knowledge. And it's like they're almost willfully misunderstanding it. They're not willfully misunderstanding it. It's a natural reflection of emotional deficits. When the emotional bank deposits are created, so this is a high value on how they feel emotionally, it builds high value relationships. In high value relationships, they start to seek you out. They start to open doors for you. They start to refer you. They start to introduce you to people. So by seeing what was going on, I was able to change that aspect of my, of my business. So simply engaging in emotional bank deposits. So that would be things like um, thank you cards. That would be things like a text in the middle of nowhere to ask what was going on with their new puppy. Um, that would be things like scouring YouTube to find a video about funny sailing bloopers because that person was interested in sailing. Now, these are things that I could care less about, but an emotional bank deposit is defined as something that's meaningful to them. And so by building these things, it changed my world. And now my clients refer me to higher paying gigs and even close them for me. So if I, so let me unpack this a little just for myself even. Uh, so what you're saying is that you had a propensity to just say, all you need to do is this, this, and this. And there was no real emotional attachment to the client at that time. Like, sure, you were engaged and you were in the conversation and they felt like, you know, great. Thank you for the advice. That's wonderful. But there was no real emotional connection that had them so engaged with you that you were like their, their best pal ever. And by 
changing by seeing that about yourself that you had this ability to you know obviously come up with solutions and see what they needed and see what the challenge was the fact that you weren't connecting human to human on an emotional level you were out of out of sight out of mind and yeah. so by now flipping that to be oh i need to work on this something i don't care so that's for you that would be a real challenge to do i got to send a i got to send a card to somebody for like cuz that's not in your radar that now you have to work at that and you would never have seen that had you not done that am i am i getting this so so many things so many things um the advice um, thank you cards greases the wheels is like something a sixth grader could tell you. But when you're in the situation, you can't hear it because you're in the bottle. By looking at your thinking patterns, you're able to get out of the bottle and see it for what it actually is. The um, emotional bank deposit, you're right. In the beginning, it doesn't feel natural. If your value is action, go, go, go then it's gonna feel like a waste of time to send a thank you card. It's gonna feel like a waste of time to search Amazon for a $10 gift that you can, you can send them just because you know it's gonna brighten their day. It's gonna feel, feel like you're not getting anything done. Um, if you've got employees or staff um, stopping by to say, you know, hey, you know, how, how's your kids doing? I know they had a little, game, little league game this weekend. It's gonna feel like you're not getting anything done if your value is action. But it creates a whole nother level of scale so if you guys are listening out there and taking notes, you want to write this down. They don't remember what you did for them. They remember how you made them feel. You can save them. You can save their life. You can make them a million dollars, but they're going to refer the person who made them feel alive and feel like a million dollars. The illustration here is when you go see the dentist and this is where I was at. This is exactly where I was at until I got out of my head onto the paper. Um, if you go see the dentist and you haven't been there in six months or whatever, um, I'm actually going to see the dentist today. Um, and you're sitting in the chair waiting for the dentist to walk in and the dentist comes in and they're like, you know what? I was thinking that if you would floss a little bit more, you wouldn't have to see me as often. You could save a little bit of money. All right, let's open up your mouth. See what's going on in there. Now imagine if uh, you're sitting in the dentist chair and you haven't been there in six months and the dentist walks in and goes, ah, Tom, so good to see you. Hey, you know, last time you were here, you were talking about getting a new puppy. Did you ever get that puppy? Oh my gosh. We had one of those two done tore up our house. I'm so glad they're out of that puppy phase. I'll say, hey, while I'm thinking of it, I realized if you floss just a little bit more, you wouldn't have to see me as often. You could save a little bit of money. All right, let's open your mouth, see what's going on. Now, in the first situation, you're like, what a jerk. They don't care about me at all. In the second situation, you're like, wow, what a great guy, really looking after me, even though the advice was the same. And this is the value of a small emotional bank deposit. Right. And I'm guessing that you're, you're more apt to hear the advice because you're not caught up in some internal dialogue that is like, what a jerk. Right. Cause yeah. you're, you're often like your own little, I can't believe this guy's just the way he is. And he, you're not even registering the advice anymore yeah. versus the engagement. Then he says those, Oh, by the way. And you're like, Oh, what you're list. Now you're actually listening and yeah. you hear the advice. Yeah. Now there are a, a small percentage of the population 
that will argue me to the grave that the best thing to do is just tell them what to do and move on because it's a waste of time to do anything else. And that's... Well, well, I see this as uh, storytelling, right? This is, this is the same sort of relation in my world, how I'm, how I'm registering this is this is the difference between telling somebody, you know, how, you know, if you go meditate, blah, 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 versus telling a story of success through meditation and pulling on heartstrings and getting that emotional engagement, because that's what will register with somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, and I see this with my, you know, I have uh, twin daughters, teenagers now, but their greatest joy as kids. And even to a certain extent, even still today, they want to hear stories. Mm. They want to hear stories about my, my past, my wife's past, their grandpas who are no longer with us. Like they want to hear these, they want to be engaged on an emotional level with their history and where they came from. Mm. Yes. Yes. There, there is a, there is a line of thought that makes the argument that humanity is just a story. Um, and, and this is kind of the idea that the quality of your day is determined by the emotions that you experience the most of. And so the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, what we can do, what we can't do, what's realistic, what's not realistic, that in fact determines the quality of our day. But it all started with a story an interpretation of reality. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, is that not in the, the four agreements, the story of the planet? Oh, always do your best. Don't take anything personally. Um, I can't be on the spot with this. I'm terrible. No. <laughs> I'm terrible on the spot. <laughs> oh, I am sorry. Um, That's not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, um, be impeccable with your word. Yes. Okay. That was one. Always do your best. Don't take anything personally. Be impeccable with your word. And, yeah. uh, but, I believe the author's name is Michael. So I apologize, Michael. Um, yeah. I loved your book and I can't remember the fourth one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking it up. On the- <laughs> yeah, man. Look it up. That is a great conversation. The four agreements. And the fifth agreement is love, right? Um, he he uh, he he wrote a, f- uh, a secondary book and added that uh, love is the is the fifth agreement. Yes, yes. I um I didn't think that book was as good as the first book. No, I agree. Well, it's like it was the four agreements was so impactful. Uh, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Ah. Oh, there it is. There it is. You Always it. do your best. You found it. Don't make assumptions. <laughs> the dream. He calls it the dream of the planet. Yes. In the book, the four agreements, that's what he refers to it as is the dream of the planet and how we are, you know, can get sucked into the dream of the planet versus our own, which is kind of what you're talking about, right? It's, it's, it's similar. It's not, I mean, it's not the same thing, but, 
But if we allow the world to dictate who we are and what we're going to do and how we're going to act and how we're going to behave, then we're just going to run in a cycle of always trying to catch up to something. And we can never put our, our thumb on it or our finger on it, however you want to phrase that. And here's what it reminds me of is, uh, you know, way back, I was a musician as, as well. I played drums in a rock band. I made some CDs and back then I called them records, but uh, I made some CDs and toured and, and lived my dream. And at some point, I'll say we, but really me, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. At some point, my thinking shifted from playing music that I love to play regardless of the outcome to how do we get a record deal and trying to be something that they would want when they have no idea what they want because they're not even creating the stuff. Yeah, They're just looking to market something. Mm-hmm. And, and I can see now looking back that, that that shift was the demise of my music career because I could never achieve something because it wasn't coming from within. I was now on the, I was now trying to figure out what was needed outside of myself versus playing the music that I love to play, being as creative as I wanted to be as creative as, and attracting the audience that would resonate with that creation. Ah, so much to say. Um, So at some point, and maybe not in this episode, I, I would like to talk about uh, freelance entrepreneurship. Um, when I was a musician, I was making 50,000 a year working 40 hours a week. And I made three changes to my business that took me to 100,000 a year working 20 hours a week. And I believe those three changes can be done by anybody in freelance or really anybody in service. Most business owners can do that to double the revenue and cut their hours in half. But you were talking in your music journey about trading your creativity for for paying the bills, uh, for trying to figure out what records is going to work next. Um, and the reason that sticks out to me is because earlier in our conversation, you asked me, what can somebody do if they're caught in a cycle? And I said, there's two things. One thing is get your thinking patterns mapped out because you can't read the label on the inside of the bottle. But I hadn't mentioned the second thing yet. And you just touched on it. The second thing is take on a bigger problem. When I was in music, um, and by the way, if you're listening and taking notes, you want to write that down. The only reason you have the problems you do is because you don't have bigger problems. Whatever the problems are that you're facing. What? That's crazy talk. It is. It is. Whatever you're dealing with in your life right now, the only reason you're dealing with that is because you aren't dealing with something bigger. Uh, My friends that struggle with their health and fitness Uh, They hire a coach, they fire a coach, they go to the gym, they stop going to the gym, they stop eating donuts, they start eating donuts, whatever it is, they're on the wagon, off the wagon. Or maybe um, they quit smoking and start smoking or quit drinking and start drinking or whatever it is. The only reason they keep struggling with that is because they're not up to something bigger. My friends that have decided they're tired of being out of shape and they are going to figure out how to complete a triathlon, those people they no longer struggle with their weight or health or their diet. And it's not because they're super disciplined or super focused. It's because they're up to something bigger. And because they're up to something bigger, they're no longer distracted by things like donut shops. In music, um, when I was in that world for 98% of my life in that world, uh, I had terrible performance anxiety. 
uh, playing solos on stage with the symphony. Um, this wasn't the case if I was playing like fiddle with a band, um, but it was very much the case if I was playing classical solos and recitals that I was trained, <laughs> that I was trained to do. Um, and when you're in that world of dealing with performance anxiety, people give you like mother advice that sounds good, but it doesn't actually make a difference. It's just a truism. You know, eat a banana before you go on stage because the potassium helps to balance your blah, 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 blah levels. Uh, imagine the audience in their underwear. Um, just prepare. You just need to practice enough. If you practice enough, you won't be nervous because it's easy for you. Sounds like it should make a difference. It only makes the situation worse. Well, let me tell you what actually works. And this is what I said earlier. The only reason you have that problem is because you don't have a bigger problem that you're up to. Um, I was on stage and this is after a lifetime a lifetime of practice, 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 get up to do the solo, play so badly, feel so badly that I'd walk off stage and seriously consider selling my instrument because I never wanted to go through that again. But I was stuck with the mental illness that is called being a musician. I couldn't put it down. I couldn't not do it. So go through the cycle, go through the cycle, go through the cycle. Remember, trying harder doesn't make a difference. So it didn't matter how many times I tried to play my best under pressure. Trying harder doesn't make a difference. Well, here I am on stage. My solo's coming up. I'm counting the measures away. The orchestra's playing. And the anxiety is just rising, 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 rising. And here's that loop. Great. Here we go again. In 10 minutes from now, I'm going to want to sell my instrument. And then it dawned on me, what if I just practice what I preach? Because at that time, I was giving the talks on the musical secrets of leadership. What if I just do what I tell people to do? That was revolutionary thought. Um, so I did. I looked at the music and I asked myself, why do I even want to share this with the audience? What do I care? Why do I want to play this? Why do I want to be a part of this and them? And for whatever reason, that particular song and that particular passage spoke to me about the felt experience of being loved for whatever reason. And so I decided I was going to be up to the business of my audience having the felt experience of being loved. Now, this is a completely different game that I had never played before. Up until this moment in time, I was trying to get all the notes right. I was trying to play perfect. I was trying to play my best. I was trying to avoid looking bad. I was trying to look good. I was trying to maybe even impress them. The problem is all of those are targets that don't exist. There is no point in time that you can say that was my best. Because as soon as you get there, there's a little bit more. There's no point in time that you get to say that was perfect. Because as soon as you hit that, you realize it could have been this too. They, there are targets that don't exist. And so this has you in a game of withholding. This is tyranny. This is withholding from yourself the very core emotions that you need to perform your best under pressure. Because you're saying, when I meet this invisible goal that can never be reached, then I'll give myself permission to feel. It doesn't work that way. So this was a new game. I was out of the business of trying to look good, play all the notes right, do my best under the pressure, be perfect. I was out of that game and I was into a new game now, which is standing for what was possible in my audience's life, that they would have the felt experience of being loved. Now, I had never done this before. 
So my solo starts and with the first note, my brain fires off the net. What if you miss this note? And I had to say, I'm not in that game anymore. Like, I don't care if I miss this note because I'm up to something bigger. There's 2000 people in this room and I'm standing that they would have the felt experience of being loved. And then the second note would come. Oh, this is a hard shift. You might miss this one. I don't care. I'm out of that business. I'm in a new game standing for what's possible. I'm like, right. With every note, I had to recommit myself to a bigger game for a bigger purpose and a bigger reason. At the end, I ended up playing better than I had ever played under pressure before. But the real victory was that I couldn't wait to do it again. For the first time in my classical music life, I actually enjoyed sharing the music. Now, a couple stories here. If you are a parent and you're struggling with your relationship with your teenager, the only reason you're struggling with your relationship with your teenager is because you aren't up to something bigger. So rather than trying to fix your relationship with your teenager, how about you start writing the book that becomes the source manual for all the other parents that have the same problem. And in the process of writing that book, you're thinking at a higher level. You're now about something bigger and it opens up a greater level of resourcefulness at the end of it you learn something that you could not have learned any other way. You don't write the book because you have the answer. You write the book because you are becoming the answer. Gandhi, some people don't know this, but before he was this amazing dude that spoke so powerfully, he united an entire nation. His nation was divided in civil war by four different groups, not two in the United States. Before he was Gandhi, effectively, he started off life as a lawyer in England and um, he was a terrible lawyer on his first case. He fled the courtroom because he was terrified of speaking in public. His assistant had to close on his second case. He went back to his client the night before gave him back all his money said, I can't represent you in good conscience because I'm a terrified of speaking in public. So you got to wonder like what changed, mm. what changed from this guy who's terrified of speaking in public to the guy who spoke so profoundly. Did he, buy an ebook for 99 cents on public speaking tips? Did he sign up for Tony Robbins powerful public speaking seminar? No, intuitively, you know, that those things as helpful as they are, would have left him in the world of still dealing with it, just dealing with it more effectively. The Gandhi that showed up on stage that we know, clearly was not dealing with it. It did not even exist in his world. So what happened? He leaves England, goes to South Africa. And while he is trying to practice law in South Africa, he notices that his countrymen, the people of India, are horribly oppressed. And he decides that he is going to be up to the business of peace in India. Nobody asked him. Nobody gave him permission. Nobody knighted him. He just said, there will be peace in India. Get this, because I said so. There's that um, Don Miguel Ruiz, be impeccable with your word. There will be peace in India because I said so. Now, here's the deal. When you are about the business of peace for a billion people, you don't give two shits about speaking to an audience of 20,000 
They can boo you off the stage, pull you off the stage, shower you with rotten tomatoes. You could care less because you're up to something bigger. That's massive. That's a great, that's a great story. Uh, so I wanted to go back as I wrote down here, the, um, what I found interesting among many things, but one of the pieces that I found interesting was the, un, um, the self dialogue. So in your shift from playing the notes to having the audience feel love, you had to remind yourself and I know what happens very quickly. Like the self-dialogue is so fast, right? As we talk to ourselves, it's like, da -da 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 -da. It's, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what, 300 words a minute or something. It's okay. ridiculous it's, or more that we can, right? So as you're playing, your brain is going, I don't know if you can do this. And you're like, hey, I'm not in this business anymore. And that happens in an instant. But it's the point, I think the point I'm after here and what I see with sometimes myself and with a lot of other people is that they want to know like, well, how do I fix it all? Or how do I stop it? And it really is that it's really the mindset that I am up to this. And I have to remind myself, it's a new habit you're taking on, right? It's sort of like, I have to train myself to break this old habit and recreate this new one or create this new habit. And so therefore I need to remind myself along the way. Hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad that you mentioned, well, how do I fix this? Because you don't. It just stops mattering because you're up to something bigger. You, you, don't, you don't argue with it. You don't change your mind. It's not like you're going to sit down in a room with a magic guru, super wise counselor who's going to say something to you and you're going to realize you were wrong in thinking that way. All no, no. It's right and it just keeps running. But you're up to something bigger. Right. This is the same thing with meditation. People are like, well, but I can't, I can't meditate. My mind wonders. That is meditating, realizing that your mind has wandered off. And then instead of judging yourself, just bring your mind back to your breath. People crash though. Well, my mind wandered off. So I must be a bad person. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe this isn't for me. No, that is what meditation is. Realizing your mind wandered off and bringing it back. It's the same thing in relationships. People avoid being in relationship because they might get hurt. You're going to get hurt. It's not about avoiding getting hurt. It's about realizing it and then bringing it back on track. Mm -hmm. uh, they avoid being self-employed or going into business because they're going to lose money. You're going to lose money. You're going to fail. It's not about avoiding failing. It's about now that you're here, what are you going to do next? Right. Yeah. Cause there's going to be challenges. There's going to be moments of absolute chaos. There's going to be moments of why did I ever think I could ever possibly ever dream of doing such a thing. And, and then there's going to be moments of like, man, this is the greatest moment ever. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right. So how do I fix it? You don't. Right. It's, you're up to something bigger. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's a great point. Thank you for that. Cause I, I, I actually never believe that anything's broken. Like we're not broken. We're not broken people uh, that need fixing. It's, it's that there is, 
yeah, there's something bigger we could be doing. And I, and I love that, that the idea is that the bigger the problem, we automatically will start to just go, well, yeah, but that's not relevant. I'm not up to that anymore. I'm up yeah. to this now. This, this is actually what I'm doing now. Right. It's like changing jobs. You don't go to the new job and keep going, I, I got to do my old job anymore. It's like, no, I'm on to the new job. That's it. You might yeah. have, you might have some, uh, some memory of the old job and how it was some flashbacks. <laughs> Of, yes, of, how, yeah. of how horrible it might have been or how wonderful it might have been. However, this is what you're doing now. You're up to this new thing. And just because you're up to this new thing doesn't mean the old thing was wrong. Mm. You're just up to something different now. Yeah. If you're in the struggle of wrong, there is no victory because there's no solution. Right. Um, I, I often do this with some of my clients uh, I say, imagine that I go out to my garage to ride my bicycle, but it has a flat tire. Is my bicycle wrong? And they say, well, n- no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, like they have this perplexed, why would you, I mean, it's like asking the marital status of the number four. Like I, I would say it's stupid. <laughs> my bike's stupid. Okay, there we go. That's an appropriate. <laughs> no, not wrong. My bike was stupid. Why, why did you do that? <laughs> now imagine just hypothetically what would happen if my bike was wrong? Well, first I would have to explain why my bike was wrong and I shouldn't have to air the tire up. And then my bike would have to explain that this is the nature of physical things. Sometimes they break and I'd have to explain, well, no, I paid extra money to be sure that I didn't have to go through this. And the bike would have to explain, well, you know, there was an error at the factory. And then eventually I'm going to realize I'm the only one with arms. So if it's going to get aired up, it's going to be up to me. Now I've aired the bicycle tire up and I'm going for a ride. Only I'm not going for a ride because in my head, I'm still back in the garage because I shouldn't have had to do this to start with. All of that comes into existence the minute something is right and something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Something is good, something is bad. All of that that I just mentioned is birthed into existence. Now, what happens if I go out to the garage to ride my bike and my bicycle is not wrong? Well, I just air up the tire and go for a ride. Okay, now um, what happens if I hire you to maintain my bicycle? I'm paying you money to maintain my bicycle. I go out to ride it, it has a flat tire. Are you wrong? Well, now people him and haw around. Well, I mean, but, but, I guess I am. I mean, go, uh, okay, well, we're back to, well, I shouldn't have had to do this, but I did. I checked it last night. It was fine. Yes, but I'm paying you extra money to be sure that it's also fine in the morning. But I did. I even asked. And even after the bicycle gets aired up, we're still not done because in my head, we shouldn't have had to go through this to start with. As long as we're in the world of right, wrong, good, bad, there is no solution. At no point is that fixed. But if we're in the world of it works or doesn't work, there are unlimited solutions. So if you leave your old way and pick up a new way, that doesn't mean that your old way was wrong. It Mm. just didn't work for you anymore. Yeah. Well, Jared, I actually believe that everything is perfect. Tell me more. Well, I, I have come to the conclusion that in every given moment, everything that was needed to actually create that moment is perfect. The universe is not imperfect. It's absolutely perfect. So to your point of giving up the good or the bad, it's just what happened. 
and everything that was in the stew for my bicycle tire to be flat is why the bicycle tire is flat. So in actuality, the moment unfolded perfectly. I may not like the results of the moment and I may gauge it as this is good or this is bad or it didn't work out the way I had intended to work it out, but that doesn't mean it's not perfect. What that means is that I have a problem with how it unfolded. However, mm -hmm. the moment, each moment as it unfolds, it's done, it's perfect. Everything that was in the soup was there and that's the way it had to go because of what was already in the ingredients. Hmm. Hmm. So I, uh, I gave up perfection. I gave up the idea of anything being perfect because it already is. It, everything is already perfect. Already perfect. Excellent, man. Well, we'll see. We'll see if my theory lasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, I'll, where, where should we go from here? Well, I want to get back to your, I, I, you know, I don't need to wait a show. I want to get back to your, uh, free flow entrepreneurship. What was it? The entrepreneurship you were talking about the freelance, 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 entrepreneurship. freelance entrepreneurship. All right. So, um, for me, uh, mindset is different from personality in that mindset is a strategy. Mindset is a way of thinking. Now you already have a mindset. And it's already effective at producing results. Is it effective at producing the results that you want? Well, no, or you'd already have them. So changing your mindset is about changing your way of thinking, changing how you go about solving those problems. When I was in uh, music, I was tired of feeling like I was working all the time, but not making enough. And, and that was frustrating. And it was also frustrating because not making enough is kind of baked into the system for freelance music. Um, I mean, we've got bands, world famous bands, platinum records, wallpapering their house, and they're mowing grass during the summer to make ends meet. It's just, it's just a part of music. Why should the bar pay you to play when they can get it for free on Spotify? Um, so at that time I was playing in the symphony, I was teaching private lessons, I was playing weddings, that kind of thing, just the gig economy hustling like crazy. Now, if you are a, a service provider, uh, a lawyer, a dentist, um, if you're in the service industry, you're a barista, you're a restaurant owner, what I'm going to say applies to you. We just need to be a little creative about where we can apply it. So the strategy that I was using was work harder and faster. How can I get more gigs? Because if I get more gigs, I get more money. How can I play more lessons, teach more lessons? Because if I have more students, I get more money, that kind of thing. But the problem is trying harder won't get you there. And if you're doing the work, you're actually falling behind. And that's where I was at. So here I am working like crazy, making 50,000 a year. This isn't sustainable. The strategy is how can this go forth without my time being involved? So we'll look at the three areas. The first area was teaching. Now, regardless of where you're at, lawyer, dentist, coffee shop owner, teach what you know. 
So I was teaching what I knew. I was teaching people how to get started playing violin and viola. Well, I took my time out of that equation. This allowed me to double my income from teaching without charging more or working more hours. Um, you can do this by putting an online course together, putting a YouTube series together, um, writing a manual, writing a book, publishing a course, um, teaching group lessons. The way I chose to do it, to take my time out of the equation, was doctor visits. When you go see the doctor, they have a hallway with patients in the rooms and they just go back and forth because the doctor doesn't need to check you in, schedule you, follow up with your medicine, reschedule you. So they just come in for what the doctor's needed for and then they leave. Well, my students don't need me while they're unpacking their instrument, while they're tuning, while they're warming up. They just need me to come in and diagnose and give them the exercise that will develop that skill and then leave and then come back and check on them to see what they noticed while they were practicing that new skill. So that's what I would do. It allowed me to double my revenue without working more hours. Parents absolutely loved it, by the way, because they remember what life was like for them as a music student, where they would sit down at the piano to demonstrate what they had worked on at home. And they would almost have touched the piano keys when their teacher said, no, 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 like this. And their teacher would demonstrate it and say, okay, now you do it. And they would almost do it. No, 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 like this. Like they remember the misery of having a teacher constantly correcting you before you even have a chance to get some momentum. And this is your very first time. So by me being out of the room, my students were in a space where they could make mistakes with grace. And then I'm just coming back in the room after they've had some momentum to troubleshoot and adjust. My students loved it. The parents loved it. Everybody was raving fans. Doubled my revenue without doubling my hours just like that, or raising my prices. The second thing was when you're teaching what you know, whether you are a lawyer, a dentist, coffee shop owner, podcaster, whatever it is, when you're teaching what you know, your students are going to have needs. Now, up until this point, they would come to me and say, we have some extra money burning a hole in our pocket. What should we do with it? And I would say, oh gosh, don't give me your extra money. Take it down the road to the music store. Give your extra money to them. Well, I stopped that nonsense. It takes about 15 minutes to get a retail license in your town. Get a retail license. Call up the wholesalers. Got a small shop. I'd like to carry your stuff. Done. So now when my students come to me, hey, we need a new instrument. We need some new accessories. We need new sheet music. We need, come back next week. I'll have one for you. I didn't have to warehouse any material. I didn't have to store anything. I didn't have to spend any extra time because they were already there. They want your advice anyways, because you're the one teaching them. They trust you as it is. They don't want to give their money to somebody else. So that instantly added 25,000 extra dollars free money that I was giving to the music store that year. Um, now in the music business, you do have the benefit of rentals, which is your retirement. Um, because the rent, when you buy a new rental instrument, it pays for itself in about two years. And so after that, as long as you're renting it to the school kids, it's just gravy. It's free money. Um, so that was the second thing is as you train your students, they're going to need equipment. So if you're a coffee shop and you're teaching people how to get better customers and how to get them to stay in your store longer and how to get them to pay more money, well, what's the best bean supplier? K2 
can they come through you to access that bean supplier? What's the best um, espresso machine? Can they come through you to get that espresso machine? They're coming to you anyways. The third thing was, instead of playing more gigs, I started booking more gigs. By booking more gigs, I took my time out of the equation. This gave opportunities for my peers. This gave opportunities for my students. As you're raising your students up, they're going to need opportunities. So now they had a chance to go out and play and get paid. And I got paid because it came through me. My peers got more gigs than they normally would have because I was now in the booking business. I was able to play more gigs virtually because I wasn't there. I took my time out of the equation. So whatever business you're in, take your time out of the equation, which gets to one of the tenets of my book, the less you work, the more you make. How can I solve this problem by working less? Took my time out of teaching, took my time out of sales, took my time out of gigging. And that book is the thinking patterns of success or is that a different book? A thinking patterns of success. Yeah. 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 Awesome. That was awesome. I love that. And that's really, uh, I would say that, you know, that might be the, uh, the definition of 2020 is how many people have now, you know, are now scrambling to get online and to create courses and to do all of this stuff to take their time out of the equation only because they can't actually be with people. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're not online, you don't exist. Yeah. In, in this world. It's true. It's very true. Well, that was great. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners how to get a hold of you? And maybe before you do that, maybe before you tell us how to get a hold of you, just give us, give people an idea of what can you, what can you assist them with? Like, are you open for uh, coaching or do, do you do that sort of thing? One-on-one uh, -on -one stuff or group or programs? What's in the Jared toolbox? Uh, my clients normally double their revenue by purposely working half as many hours. Um, this is just a natural process of getting out of the corn maze and standing on the ladder. Um, you don't have to be a client of mine to get your map though. Uh, if, if you want to see what your thinking patterns look like, if you want to see if there's any opportunities for growth in your own mindset, or even what that might impact in your business, uh, mindsetperformance.co. You can learn about the mind scan. You can download a sample report. Heck, you can even try it for yourself. Don't need to be a client at all to get the benefit from all of that. Um, if you're curious what some of the thinking patterns of success are and the difference it's been making in those people, uh, the seven, eight, nine figure earners that I interviewed in my book, you can download the executive summary, take a look at their thinking patterns. You can do that on my site as well. One-on-one um, -on -one coaching is tough. I normally only work with about 10 people at a time. Um, so it's extremely rare that there's an opening there. Uh, but thankfully, there's more than enough resources. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, Mindset Performance, uh, where we're constantly going over the mindset push-ups and the exercises that get you thinking at a higher level. Um, read the book. That's about all I got. The best way to get a hold of me, um, if you're on the East Coast of the United States, obviously is smoke signals. Um, second to that, I would say airplane banner. Um, if those aren't available, then the good old interweb, mindsetperformance.co. And that is your website, mindsetperformance.co. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Awesome. Jared, this has been fantastic. I thank you so much for uh, joining me today on the Bloom Living Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Anything uh, we need just before we sign off? Is there anything we missed or any burning words you have that you uh, that you need to say before we go? Um, no, I could drop a little earworm though. Have you ever noticed that the 
worst part of a watermelon tastes like the best part of a cucumber. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great day. Sure. And thanks so much to you for joining in and listening to today's show. This is the Bloom Living Podcast. We hope you have yourself an amazing day. We look forward to having you join in again or maybe go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. And if you're so inclined, give us a shout out, give us a thumbs up, share it on social media. We'd really appreciate that. All the best. Stay blessed. Namaste. Namaste.